0: Live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company.
1: Ball at the eight yard line on first and goal. A snap and the toss to the right. Abdul, all kinds of space. Five, end zone. He was all alone, led his way in there. Jermaine Illuminor led the way. And for the first time here in 2022, the Raiders have a touchdown. There's the snap. Settles into the pocket. Now races to the right side. It's nothing but green grass in front of him. 10, 5, touchdown Stidham. QB scampered for 12. He's done it with his arm and now his legs. First and goal. Low snap. The pitch to Walter. Running right. Cuts it back at the 5. Still on his feet at the 2. Drags the defender into the end zone. Austin Walter did it himself for 8 yards. Touchdown Raiders.
0: It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Friday,
2: Friday, 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 Cofield and Company on the road every Friday through May. Sorry that old guy got all scared. Yeah, I think he's scared. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you
3: got the defibrillator? On
2: yeah, well, he'll be okay. He'll be okay. Golden Circle, Sportsbook and Bar, Treasure Island. I think I just destroyed my voice for the 5 o'clock hour, too. Uh, this is a great spot. I will put this place up against as far as setup. And then scenery and sports memorabilia with any sports bar in the country. Mr. Ruffin's collection is in here. It is insane. We're on the, uh, I don't know where the hell we are on the building, but it feels like we're on the north side of the bar. It's a massive space here. It's got a sports book. On the other side of the restaurant bar, there's some stuff over there, like boxing memorabilia. Every time I come in, I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. We like this place so much, we want you to come down. Parking's free, valet or garage. We're here twice a week. Cofield and company every Friday. Tomorrow, we debut the 2022 Throw the Flag. Gooch and Willie are hosting a two-hour Saturday sports preview show all the way through football season. I heard... Gooch is unreal with his guest booking. So who did he land for you? <laughs> really? I heard he's very good. I heard he's really good. Knocked, he knocked it out of the park for this week. All right. Who do you guys have? I mean, you always give credit to someone else on the show.
3: You don't have to get credit for booking, I, brother. I just said. Okay. He knocked it out of the park. He did knock it out of the park. So we are going to be covering a number of times. We were at a production meeting before this. At the studio, And let me tell you, I heard, I heard I when I heard that
2: your show was having a meeting. I'm like, we've been on the air in some form or fashion at Lotus with Cofield and company going back to the wise guys for 18 years. I don't think we've ever had a show meeting ever. You're already ahead of us. Yeah, We are so disorganized. I love that. You're like, you know, we're going to embarrass that weekday show. We're going to be better.
3: That, that was those were close to the words that I <laughs> used. That right? Yeah. I, you know. This is what I want, and I want—I oh, wow. wanted to absolutely blast the Press Box and Cofield and Company. We are going – this is not going to be just some throw-together weekend show, just, you know, just to go out to the sponsor. No, we are going to – I mean, it's going to be big time because how many times have you heard me talk about – I said at the beginning of the show, but just in general, when we're at a Thursday spot, how many times have I said I used to come here on Friday nights yeah. before and sit there and, and then come back when it was called the Continental? I mean – this is what Las Vegas is about. This man mean, loves this town.
2: This spot, he will honor it with great shows.
3: Free parking, easy accessibility to this joint. So tomorrow, I'm sorry, i have going
2: to cut you off. I see Ari down the line. He's
3: saying, "Hurry up, we got to get to the." I'm sorry, man. Tomorrow it's, it's his show. Yeah. He's saying, "Hurry up!" Tomorrow we have talking Raiders. Early, we're going. We're bringing ESPN's Paul Gutierrez. In the second hour, we have former UNLV All American. The Arena Football League Hall of Famer and San Diego State Assistant Coach Hunky Cooper coming on.
2: Wow, that's pretty good.
3: And Pre- we got a number of other fun. Good. We got some fun stuff planned. So
2: nice. Yeah. Nine o'clock every Saturday. Come on down, watch the show. But it's nine to eleven. Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar with uh,
0: Willie and Gooch. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. So whether
2: sure or not, we talk a lot on this show about being average Joes, being connected with fans, I think we are. And you know what? I go to games as a fan sometimes. I buy tickets. Yeah, I know what it's like. I'm a season ticket holder. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting a little freaking ridiculous at some places. So I see the story the last couple of days where people are mocking on multiple football programs, of course, my school, Rutgers, is the one getting mocked on the hardest because that's just the way things work until uh, they go out and win a Big Ten title. Maybe not. Um, Louisville, Rutgers, Fresno State, Oregon football, along with D.C. United, some other soccer clubs, have now turned to selling season tickets at Costco. I love it. It has been hammered by a lot of people on social media. By the way, South Carolina is doing it as well. SEC, SEC. I don't know what there is to mock on here. The foot traffic at these big box stores is amazing. You're hitting a completely different audience that might not have season tickets top of mind. And we're talking about season ticket packages that might be $100, 150 bucks. Why not? Uh, when I saw this, I, I retweeted it yesterday, and it was like, Hey, based on the games I've been to the last three years, in and out of the Mountain West Conference, I was like, Vanderbilt should do this, Northwestern should do this,
3: and I listed almost everyone in the Mountain West Conference except for Boise. This is a great idea. I love it. I think, I mean, because what do you go to Costco to do? In reality, if you're going to Costco, you're going to spend some money. You're buying bulk stuff. So I would imagine that there's a deal worked out in some way, shape, or form where to do this, the, the, the season ticket packages, whatever they're selling, the, the, even if they're mini-seasons, whatever, they're they're at a certain rate as well. So, yeah. you know, Costco's obviously in on the deal, but I think it's a fantastic yeah, how idea. How about this? It, Isn't it nice when they put up $99
2: for season tickets, 150 for season tickets, when you go to the register and they ring it up, they're not like, oh, it, there's another $72 in fees. Right. That one, I mean, I don't know how people – go out and, and you know regularly buy tickets because that one will drive you friggin' nuts. Where you're like, oh, I'm getting tickets for $50. $50. Yeah, it's 74 Like, w- Wait, what just happened? Um, I'm telling you folks, most of the people mocking on this don't go to games. Don't pay for tickets, especially the media people. But even to the nameless anonymous fans, right, who mocked on it, they don't go to games. They don't know what attendance is like at a lot of college spots. College basketball, like, there are a lot of gyms. There's no one there. College football. They, listen, this is what's happened, Willie, with the sports world. Look at the money that's coming in. Where's the money coming in? At the the richest places, the gate is a big deal. At a lot of places, it's all about your TV deal. This has become a you know football, especially has become a sport. People don't go to games like they used to. No. Well, so this is a, this is this is an inexpensive way to get more people into games, get the experience.
3: I think it's a great idea. I hope I hope UNLV and Nevada do it. The people that are mocking on this are the people that are mocking on Mark Davis eating chicken wings.
2: Buffoons. Buffoons. Number four. Ari's annoyed.
3: (laughs) He's he's slow on the trigger because he told you to hurry up.
2: Um, I'll give you another thing that will drive you nuts on social media. Are the dorks, the interns at some of these companies who watch a game – and then want to mock on a guy like Chris Collinsworth. I like Collinsworth. I think he studies. He's – I don't even know how much of PFF does he own. I'm not even sure. But, like, he's a numbers guy. The producers behind the scenes give him great information. he He's one of those guys that I really like watching. And I guess last night he said, according to one Twitter account of one betting service, Chris Collinsworth just said 13 AFC teams have a shot – at making the Super Bowl, mid-season form. He's actually right. He is. Have you looked at the AFC odds for the title? Not lately. Not since tell not me. Lately. Tell me when to stop. Tell me when this the team I name has no shot to no, make the no, Super okay, Bowl. Go, 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 Bills, Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, Bengals, Ravens, Colts, Browns. Raiders, Titans. I that's would, that's 11 teams.
3: Okay, I, w- I would throw the Browns out considering we don't know what their situation is.
2: Okay, they're actually the eighth choice or ahead of the Raiders. Okay. Um, Browns, Raiders, Titans, Dolphins. Patriots are the 12th choice on the AFC board, the Steelers are 13th. Hey, could the Steel- if Trubisky works out, Najee Harris is a beast, and that defense stays healthy, it's Mike Tomlin. Could they make the Super Bowl? Yeah. There actually is 13 teams. Like, I mean, all you got to do is get on the dance floor, right? That's it. Can every one of those teams I just mentioned
3: win nine games? Yeah, you just got to get in. And everyone that you name.
0: Mid-season form. for
2: me, not outside of The, Browns, I'm not the AFC
3: is ridiculously deep. Yeah, it is. It, it runs very deep. And, you know, these are just – I mean, they were out in droves last night on social media. I mean – and it's just a sign of what we have to deal with where the mute button is going to come in so handy this season. But it's just relentless. Yeah, it's the good and the bad of football. It's the most commented on
2: internet topic. We love it. And, and listen, that person actually, whoever the intern is who, who put that out, actually did a great job because I'm, I'm looking at them like, ah, and then, you know, I want to start arguing about the depth in the AFC. So they, they actually did their job.
3: Yeah, and it generates, you know, it probably generates someone to pick up their app and look through it and, oh yeah, I'll show you and, you know, maybe bet on their team. Maybe maybe try to prove them wrong just to throw a wager. I'll throw something on there. At least gets them looking at the list.
2: Number three. Raiders win last night in the Hall of Fame game. They win 27-11. They were aggressive early on. A lot of the regulars got playing time, so that was surprising. All that said, don't take the game too seriously, but... We know there's a battle at tackle at right tackle. So both guys got the start last night. Alex Leatherwood at right, Brandon Parker on the left. He struggled early. He struggled often. Again, I'm not going to overanalyze this, but after – actually, check that. Today, when McDaniels talked to the media, Vic Tafer from The Athletic addressed
4: Parker's issues.
0: Brandon Parker, what were your thoughts on the way he played? And do you think the move to the left side was a part of the problem last night?
4: A lot of guys have to play multiple positions, so that can't be part of the problem. So, you know, we have to be able to, uh, you know, a lot of guys played multiple spots last night, you know, because you have to have depth at the game somehow, some way. There were a few things, obviously, that Brandon can do can do better. There were some things we were trying to uh, do offensively where we didn't execute him very well. Uh, that didn't have anything to do with Brandon, so a lot of things. Go into uh, pass protection, as I've said before. If you want to be good in pass protection, you got to do a lot of things right. Uh, it's not just one man's responsibility. You know, the timing of the play, where the quarterback's, you know, if he's stepping up in the pocket, if the back's supposed to be, you know, helping or chipping on the edge. You know, the, all there's a lot of things that are coordinated to go into a good pass protection unit. Certainly after our first game, we're not where we want to or need to be, and that's why we'll work hard today on the film to correct that.
2: Uh, Vic followed it up today, Tafer, saying, "You know they got to get a tackle," and he said he's gotten a lot of people saying to him, "Stop being so negative." I, I think McDaniel's answer was awesome. Like, hey, you know, want to cut him a break because he moved the left tackle instead of right, and McDaniel's is like, "No," He's like these guys got to play lots of positions. <laughs> you got to be able to do it. That's it.
3: He sort of I, – I get what you're saying, but he, I don't think that he actually answered the question directly. He sidestepped it because Vic said, was it the problem that he switched left? McDaniel's answer was, that can't be the problem. So what he's saying is, come the regular season, that can't be the problem because they got to be able to play. Okay, we didn't ask you about in four weeks. We asked you about last night. Was it the problem last night, yes or no? Not, is that going to be a problem in week one? So could it have been, you know, I mean, he also was going up against a very hungry first round, first pick overall, Trayvon Walker, He was going up against a former Raiders pass rusher, Arden Key, right? So not making excuses, but, you know, it, I mean, these guys are trying to make, make roster spots as well, trying to make a statement as well in the first game, you know? So it could have, Vic could have nailed it that it's his first time moving over to that side, of the, You know, the preseason, first game, first play of the game, Parker was beaten by Trayvon Walker. Did the move, well, did that cause a problem? That can't be the problem. Okay, we get it. Come week one, it can't be the problem. But what was it last night? And he makes sense because he went on to talk about t- t- in today's press conference that there's going to be guys that are going to be playing. they got to be able to play two, three positions. I want every lineman to be able to play across the line. Because if guys go down, you don't want to be pigeonholed and saying, okay, I got one backup for right guard. I got one backup for right tackle. I got one back, you know. They want to be interchangeable. So it makes sense.
0: Number two.
2: Jarrett Stidham played a good game, looked good at times. What does it mean? Are you comfy with what they have behind Eric Carr?
3: Well, I think that the comfortability in McDaniel's system is becoming a little bit infectious. I think people are having – I think what we saw last night was somewhat of the the product of the first couple of weeks of training camp and how much fun they're having out there. So, you know, I I think it helps in that it gives a little bit of ease of mind to the coaching staff, the offensive – on the offensive side of the ball that there's a couple of guys that went out there and played with some confidence that if they got to get in there, I mean – you know, we we saw some decent passes. We saw some we saw we saw some breakaway runs. I mean, I, I think that the the fact that they came out playing with the confidence they did, like I said, was somewhat of a product of the the infectious sort of fun that this system is going to be for them. So if they have to turn to whether it's trickery or if Car goes down with an injury, you know, I mean, there's going to be guys coming for them. This is this is these are four teams in this AFC West where defensive fronts are going to be looking to make a huge thud on quarterbacks.
0: Number one.
2: Coming up next, our top story, what did the win actually mean? And we've got a conversation. Willie and I sat down with Jason Campbell, the former Raiders quarterback, from the beginning of last decade. Really good one. Really good one about the Hall of Fame, what's going on in Canton, his former teammate, Richard Seymour. So stick around. Cofield and company rolling on
0: in the 5 o'clock hour. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers,
1: 570-9000. First and goal, low snap, the pitch to Walter, running right, cuts it back at the five, still on his feet at the two, drags the defender into the end zone, Austin Walter. Did it himself for eight yards. Touchdown, Raiders!
0: Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company.
2: Raiders, radio network with the call there, Jason Horowitz, new voice on radio of the Raiders. Willie Cofield, Treasure Island. We got a conversation coming up with Jason Campbell, the former Raiders quarterback back in 2010, and. Eleven. I think he really considers himself a Raider over the other teams he played for, even though his stint was relatively short as compared to the uh, then Redskins. So we were just going to break, talking about the win last night in the Hall of Fame game. What does it
3: mean? I think what it means is a slew of confidence for the guys that are still in competition. Just I don't care whether it was the Jaguars. I don't care whether it was against second, third, fourth string guys. Guys that are going to be cut in 10 days. I think it's a slew of confidence, and I think it – Provided McDaniels with a bit of a bigger picture and what he's got because, as Mark McMillan pointed out earlier, doesn't matter where they're at as far as the Jags on the depth chart, they're NFL guys. They've been invited to an NFL camp. And the way that the Raiders looked yesterday, they looked well prepared. They looked like a well prepared bunch, and everybody was getting into it. They were having a good time. And I think what it means is a slew of confidence for the guys that are still in competition. Hall of Fame game is the start of Hall of Fame weekend. Big
2: weekend for the Raiders. They win the game. Now they got Richard Seymour and Cliff Branch going in. We wanted to grab one of the Seymour teammates. One of those guys was a starting quarterback, Jason Campbell. He's in Canton, so he's got all his festivities going on tonight. Willie and I talked to him this morning. Good conversation here. We started out, you know, the easy question. Hey, what has it been like so far hanging around Canton and the Hall of Fame?
5: It's been great. Uh, this is my first experience of actually getting a chance to come to the Hall of Fame and, like, tour the museum and see all the festivities they do around the uh, enshrinement weekend. I played here back in, I believe it was 2009 um, when I was with Washington. We came and played a preseason game against the Colts. and But we didn't get a chance to do a lot of touring. It was basically it was in and out. But uh, this opportunity, you know, here to support Richard Seymour gives me a chance to see all the things behind the scenes that uh, that really makes us a, a surreal weekend.
3: Jason, seeing seeing the you know uh, the game being played last night with with so many storylines right around the Raiders in particular, especially Josh McDaniels getting to walk on the field that he started as a quarterback playing for his father. I mean, so many we heard, we heard him talk about so many times passing that stadium just to get to school. It's like right up the block. Um, could it? Did it feel like it? Could you feel somewhat of the how special of a night it was for so many people in the, in the stadium, including Josh McDaniels?
5: i tell you what it was. Uh, they have done a lot to this stadium. Uh, like They really put some money and some resources into it. And like you said, for him, Josh McDaniels, this is an area that he, uh, they came from and well, there's so many memories with his dad and everything here. Uh, I'm pretty sure for him to stand on that field as a Raiders coach had to be a surreal moment, even if it is a, a preseason game. But at the same time, just uh, the 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 monumental backgrounds you've come from, and uh, for this to be familiar territory in a in an NFL atmosphere had to be a had to be an awesome time. And just think about the Raiders, like the big offseason season that they had. You know, you will get Devontae Adams, you team him back up with Derek Carr, which they was together. Uh, in Houston together and uh, you know he goes from he comes from a chemistry they had with Aaron Rodgers and now you know he has instant chemistry with Carr because of the previous years you know th- this team has a lot of high hopes this year they've added some pieces on defense as well and it's kind of been their Achilles heel over the last couple of years is defense and they, they was able to score points but if the defense can match with the offense you know in a tough tough division you know it's the toughest division in all of football so you know they they got a long they got a A big road in front of them, but I think they're trading in the right direction.
2: Jason Campbell's with us, former Raiders quarterback, a starter for a couple of years. We're going to get into your career, but before that, let's talk about Richard Seymour. Now, you know, as a guy on the offensive side of the ball, I don't know how much exposure you had to him aside from, you know, trying to avoid him in practice, but tell us about your experience with Richard Seymour as he's uh, ready to go into the Hall of Fame.
5: You know, Richard uh, played at Georgia, uh, and, you know, Georgia and Auburn always been a big rivalry, oldest, deep south, deep, oldest rivalry. Um, you know, both of us have SEC backgrounds, and instantly uh, he went to Oakland the year before I got there. And I remember when I got traded there, um, you know, his name was there, one of the guys that you instantly kind of went to. And, you know, just because of the pedigree, you know, he, he came over from the Patriots, uh, winning three Super Bowls there, and, and, and bringing that, trying, trying to bring that championship mindset, the winning attitude to uh, Oakland program that was at the time that was, you know, struggling. And I remember when I got there, it was a lot of you know things going on with Jamarcus Russell and the team, and and um, you know basically they were just trying to find you know some guys that can kind of bring these young cores together. And Seymour is one of the guys that that could do that. You know, he stood up in front of the team and talked. Guys listened. Uh, guys was able to go to him and uh, have equal respect because he's the guy that's done it before. And I'm sure that for him that wasn't easy. They come from a championship team like the Patriots, and all of a sudden, to uh, at that time, you know, Oakland was trying to climb out from the bottom, and uh, we was able to have a win in, in 2010 with we eight and eight. Uh, 2011, we started off with a promising year. I ended up breaking my collarbones seven seven uh, games in, and and everything. But you know, Richard was one of those guys on the defense that was uh, he was an anchor, and he was a he's a big man. <laughs> he's a big man. <laughs> You see him across the defensive line, he, he not he doesn't say a lot of words, but he, he does a lot with his action when the game time comes. So, you no, know, he's a guy that's very respectful, man, on the field and off the field. Off the field is a great family man, you know, his children we were just talking yesterday about I remember when they was in Oakland, they was just youngsters. Now he has two in college and the uh, one's a senior this year and the other one's gonna be a sophomore in high school and I'm just like, Wow, how time flies. So <laughs> He's very involved in their lives. He's very uh, supportive dad and husband, and uh, so you know he, he's a great guy, uh, full of character.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned how physically imposing Richard Seymour was <laughs> is because you're a big. I mean, you're a gigantic quarterback. I mean, you're you know listed at six five two thirty five, six four and a half. You know two thirty five. I mean, this guy you're talking about a mountain of a man who was you know listed at 317.
5: Yeah, you talking about a big, big guy. You <laughs> You know, that, that's playing, three, playing the, the three gap, you know. So he's a D-tackle that's trying to, you know, win a one-on-one battle to get to the quarterback but also stop the run. And he's a huge, huge guy. But uh, one thing about Seymour, though, man, like, he walks around quiet, though. You know, he walks around quiet, but when he speaks, you know it. And uh, so – but he's just an awesome guy. You walk up to him, you know, he can, he can look down on you a little bit because he's so big and tall, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, but once you get to know him, though, like he's, you know, he's a really, really good guy.
3: That's that, and I was going to bring that up is because uh, we had someone on last week, and they're talking about just his physical dominating presence on the line. But then when you meet him, it's just soft. I believe it might have been was it Kirk Morrison we were talking to Steve? Yeah. It, it, just how how sort of a soft, docile sort of human being he was, and the first person I thought of would. With that sort of dichotomy on and off the field was reggie white where you have this dominating presence on the line but then you have this just you know gentleman off the field
5: right and that's that's a that's a great great way to put it like on the football field he's one way but off the football field he's another you know he's, he's like a guy that likes to take people under their wing under his wings and uh you know just try to give them the best of life uh, you know, whether it's just opportunities, whether it's just being a good friend or, you know, being a good teammate, you know, whatever it takes. Like, you know, he's a really good po- poker player as well. People don't know. <laughs> you know, he's played That's in right. professional poker tournaments. Uh, you know, he, he like to host uh, poker tournaments at his home sometimes just amongst friends. And so, you know, he's uh, uh, he's even like that at the poker table. You know, I've seen him sit there with that silent assassin <laughs> and end uh, <laughs> up coming out on top. So. You know, Richard is a guy that's very deserving of the Hall of Fame. Like I said, it is tough to come from a team like the Patriots. And then, like you said, to go to a Raiders team at the time that was trying to rebuild and get in the right direction. And, you know, I think things got flowing when when both of us was out there. And I was kind of a leader on offense. He was a leader on defense. So we had a lot of time to meet together. And, you know, we did team functions together the year that we was locked out, uh, we hosted team. Practices uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia, not too far from where he lives, Uh, and and we was able to get the guys to fly in, and uh, you know, and and we had three days of camp, just the players only. And uh, you know, I ran the offense, he ran the defense, and a lot of reason why we started out 2011 ahead of of some teams that year, and just unfortunately we weren't able to see what what could have turned out.
2: Jason Campbell with us, we uh, caught up with him this morning. We'll play part two of the conversation here in just a couple minutes, but we got a prize to give away here. Close out the week in style. Chance to go to check out your Las Vegas Aces against the Sky August 11th. That's coming up this week, 7 o'clock start at the MUA, Ultra Arena. It's four tickets in the ESPN Fan Zone. The Fan Zone is brought to you by Finley, Volkswagen, Henderson, and Westar Credit Union. You can grab your own tickets at AXS.com. We've got a four-pack right now for next Thursday's game, Aces and Sky. 3-6-4-1100.
0: Cofield and company will be back in minutes, right here on ESPN Las Vegas.
4: All those little things that you do in practice in smaller groups, they all showed up last night, you know, and I think that the players, when they see this today, when we get the chance to watch and coach the film today, it won't be hard to see where practice actually could make us better.
0: You are listening to Cofield and Company live at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island.
2: Josh McDaniels pleased with a lot of the efforts in last night's Hall of Fame game. I'm sure he was fired up to be back in his hometown as well. He's very familiar with the facility in Canton. Jason Campbell's in Canton. Really, a lot of the old Raiders are there. We caught up with Jason Campbell this morning as uh, Hall of Fame weekend continues. Richard Seymour is going in. Cliff Branch is finally going in. That's awesome. And we were talking in this part of the conversation with Jason Campbell about uh, Cliff being around the organization and if uh, you know Jason developed any sort of relationship with Cliff.
5: Yeah, Cliff is a guy that I didn't get a chance to know him a whole lot, but uh, like I said, he carries a big name in the, in the organization. When you think about Raiders, uh, and like I said, Al Davis era. So, you know, uh, you know Al Davis was like when when you saw him walk through the <laughs> walk through the locker room everyone either disappear or it gets really quiet. <laughs> and uh, and I remember when I first got to Oakland and, and Al, everyone said, hey man, four o'clock, you gotta make sure you're out of the hallway. i like, why? they like, this is time the Al comes through. So literally if it's 3.58, people could be talking and they look up and see it's almost four, everybody just disappear like an ant bed. And, I just, <laughs> <laughs> and one time I got caught standing in there around by four and he called me and Al called me over, oh, Jason, you know, he comes over. He talks about football, and he was really, really a bright, smart guy. And Al would say, "You know, I was thinking about that third down play, um, you know, in the game and everything, and this such and such time on the clock, and you know, we decided to do this, and so he would just go down and break down the game, and you uh, just like, wow, you know, like this guy at his age gets to be so, you know, still in tune with the, with the football game was uh, he was all about the nine route. Yeah, uh, he told me the Seattle game. He was playing cover two, and he was just like, so, you know, it literally happened. People think it's a joke. Somebody called down to the sideline, and and they said, Jason, we need you at the phone. And I said, okay. So, I'm thinking I'm going over to talk to the quarterback. And uh, literally, Al Davis wanted the ball to go down the field on a nine route. So, I go to Hugh Jackson at the time and say, well, Hugh, they're playing cover two. I was like, what do you want us to do? He was just like, hey, he wants the ball to go down the field. We're going I said, well, I want to throw a pick." <laughs> He's <laughs> just like, hey, he said, go there and talk to Hayward Bay. the fastest guy. Go to talk to Hayward Bay. It was toss-up between him and Jacoby for And I said, Hayward, I'm going to throw a nine rise. cover two. I know it. I told the offensive line to give me a little bit more time. I said, I'm going to let you get even with the safety, and then I'm just going to launch it. So it happened. I let him get even with the safety. I launch it. Hayward goes up, makes a catch. The guy falls off of him. He runs in for a touchdown. I said, from now on, we're throwing go routes in the cover, too.
2: <laughs> you have to, right? Al-, Al got it right, and you delivered. Right. <laughs> Jason Campbell is with us. Now, with Al, there were super high demands, but there was also an impatience. Right. Like, How did you feel right. as a quarterback? You get brought into the organization, and I think that first year, you played a couple of games, and then they're like, yeah, Greg Kousey's going in, and then he played a couple of games, which is you guys lost, and then you went back in. It was that that season was crazy because I think they went eight and five with you in there, and when you were out, they were zero and three. I mean, it's one of those seasons you look back on, and they had a long playoff drought. Um, it was one of those seasons you look back on, like just let Jason Campbell play, and you probably would have made the playoffs.
5: You know, I was coming over from Washington, so I'm trying to get used to the guys around me. They're trying to get used to you know to me as well as the signal caller, and that stuff takes time. And because it wasn't going as fast as they wanted, as I thought, you know. They end up pulling the trigger out of two games. I'm just like, and going with Bruce Kacazica, he had been there for like two years. I'm just like, what, what are we doing? And But at the same time, as a professional, you do everything you can support your teammates, support Bruce. And then when the time came back around for me to play again, we go on a winning streak. And then all of a sudden, they do it to you again <laughs> towards the end. But then you end up, at like I said, at the end of the year, 8 and we just wonder, like, man, if you could have played all 16 games, as the starter, you know, two more games put us in the playoffs. Uh, we lost a heartbreaker in Jacksonville that year, I remember, uh, right at the end. So we, we was in every game. And like I said, 2011, we definitely was trending towards the playoffs. And, like, people don't realize this. We was uh, 7-0 and in our division. We didn't lose a game in our division in 2010. And when then we started off 2011. We won the first one in Denver. And uh, like I said, we didn't get a chance to get into it. I got hurt a week before we played Kansas City. But we was actually competing to be back into the AFC West as the the guys. We was competing with San Diego at that time to to get back in it. So,
3: Jason, you you talked about a couple of things in terms of, you know, uh, you mentioned in one of your uh, sort of recollections of the lockout season and just different things that you've been through. You're a quarterback. You've seen a lot of things. I want to fast forward to Derek Carr. I mean, especially after last season and everything that that team went through and him to sort of stay focused and being the leader of that team, he's entering his ninth year. Um, he takes a lot of scrutiny, and there's been a lot of conversation from last season to this season. Is he elite? Is he top five? Is he top 10? Is he top 15? In Jason Campbell's mind, as a 10-year as a veteran in this league, what is Derek Carr capable of, and where do you place him among you know, the, the, the current greats.
5: Well, I would say this for, for Derek. uh, the last few years, you know, he hasn't had the best help from defense, you know, as far as like being able to stop other teams from scoring points. Like they've been able to, to score points on offense, but defensive, they've hadn't had a chance to, to have those style defenses that back in the past, that made the Raiders so great when they could play, when Al Davis was, was you know kind of at the him, they would play man defense and just and he had those big tall long corners and on offense he always had those guys that can run that was fast so they tried to beat you on offense to attract me but on defense they tried to man man guys up and that's why Charles Wilson and those guys were so good they was big corners and uh i just think the raiders know have to understand from an offensive standpoint they've gone out and done everything they can now to make sure that Derek has all his weapons at that he needs. You know, it doesn't get any better than Demonte Adams as, as the offense and then the, the tight end that he has is top three in the NFL. So, you know, they're going to be able to score. They're going to be able to run the football and everything. Like I said, he's gone through a lot of change as well. The one constant, though, is he's been able to stay in the same uniform. Uh, you know, he hasn't been – he hasn't have to learn a new environment. He hasn't have to, you know, get used to a different fan base. So he's been in the same uniform his entire career. And that's a big, big help when you don't have to. Because relearning playbooks and different things is already tough enough. But when you don't have to relearn, relearn your environment, it kind of gives you a little bit of a head start. So there's some, you know, some unfair treatment that he gets sometimes, uh, just because that's playing the NFL quarterback position. You know, uh, you know, everyone especially goes Super Bowls every year. That's just, it's impossible. Um, you know, but from a standpoint of competing, you know, I think this is his. This is probably his best offense surrounded around him and having a number one receiver uh, as a go-to guy in Devontae. And I think, uh, you know, these next two seasons will be huge for him because there's a window. There's a window of opportunity to make it deep into the playoffs and then that window closes. And I think for the Raiders, these next two to three years is their window uh, just because of the talent that they have. And then all of a sudden they're going to blow it up.
2: Jason Campbell's with us, former Raider. Starting quarterback for the Raiders for a couple of seasons, 2010 and 2011. Last thing to wrap on, Jason is a young guy. You're only 40 years old. I want you to tell people what you're doing now. Um, And also, let's go back to the end of your career because I'm guessing you were frustrated. There was a sense of frustration You could have stayed around the NFL and probably done another five or six years as a backup quarterback and made lots of money. I was just thinking of, you know, like Chase Daniel. Um, I think he's going on his 13th year. He – you played. You played. You started a lot of games. He doesn't play, but he's probably going to be a backup until he's like 40 years old. Why did you walk and what did you walk
0: for?
5: You know, I feel like when I was in Oakland, it was my eighth year in the league and, uh, no, it's my seventh year in the league, my second year. And, like, you look at my numbers – at the time I was hurt, I was top ten in all categories. We was winning, and I feel like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I come from another franchise, you know, that was kind of chaotic in Washington, and you get to Oakland, it was a little chaotic. But you've turned a team that's been down for so many years to now they're getting respect, and you know, and we're winning, and the atmosphere is, is beginning to pick back up. And then all of a sudden, you get hurt you look up and they trade for somebody else. And then, uh, you know, and then you're on the outside looking in that you have to accept a backup job in the prime of your career. You know, that was the, my prime of my career and I had to be a backup. That was that what hurts the most. And then like I said I had to go to a couple teams and kept trying to get back into a starting role. And it was just became. And I just think after I finished my 10th year in Cincinnati, I was just so frustrated that I kind of lost some of the love for the game. And I always say I cannot step onto a football field unless I'm 100% indebted into it and my heart's all the way in it. And at the time, I just felt like, you know, my best as far as wanting to try to scribe and be that, uh, I think I just, you know, hit a wall. And I was just, you know, after learning so many different playbooks and, like I said, going through so many transitions, I think you just hit a wall and you just want to do something else. And at that time, I just decided it was time to walk away from the game. Uh, I didn't want, to, teams kept calling, but I told them, I said, if I couldn't put my heart 100% into it, um, you know, it was best for me just to stay away. And that's what I did. I just walked away from it and, you know, I left them in, uh, you know, in good spirits, but also in some type of frustration spirits because I felt like I never got the chance to see what my career really could have been like because in my prime years, I had to sit on the sideline. And uh, that's between those six and 10 years is when you're really, really, as a quarterback, you really, really take off. And I feel like I was turning in the right direction. And I had to – most guys, when you get a start in your sixth and seventh year, if you're winning, you're probably going to be starting all the way up to your ten years. And for me, I had to go to the sidelines and become a backup to hold a clipboard, not because I was losing. I was winning at that time. And uh, that was the most frustrating part about it and everything. But, you no, know, now I've done some stuff with CBS a little bit um, – you know, Monday NFL quarterback, I did some of that last year, but now i decided I'm going to help Auburn in the NIL department. Uh, help them uh, get going in NIL. I also do Auburn radio for the home games. So those two things keep me really busy. I do NBC Washington sometimes for the Washington Commanders. Uh, I cover, cover their games uh, during the season on Sunday evenings uh, with uh, reports and recaps of the game. Uh, so I've got I've got a couple jobs in the TV business, a couple jobs in the radio business. But uh, like I said, this NIL has given me an opportunity to pour into some of these young guys that's on campus and uh, try to help make sure that, you know, they don't just see dollar signs, but they understand their talent, their ability, but why they're still at school, you know, because only, like this is the one thing the kids don't understand. They think everybody coming there and sign a degree or sign a scholarship is going to the NFL. And you have to sit down and be honest with a lot of these kids and say, look, 95% of the guys that's in this room probably won't have a chance to play on Sundays. So, you need to understand from an NIL standpoint, from an education standpoint, about where you're at. Get your degree, because no one talks about degrees no more. It's all about the money. You know, talk about getting you finishing your degree, and why you made some NIL money. Put that money up. Live off your scholarship check. So, then when you finish playing college football, if you don't make it to the NFL, you have a nest egg to fall back on. So, I told him, I said, use this as an opportunity to get ahead in life, but not as an opportunity for it to be a crutch to you because you feel like you got to take care of so many people. I said, it's not your responsibility right now. You know, just focus on what's at task and still be a, a young kid and enjoy college.
2: That's awesome. That was a good way to close out. That's awesome stuff, and we definitely want to get you on if you're available during the season before a big Auburn game because we love college football, love talking to NIL and the changes in the game, and of course the Raiders. Jason, thank you so much. That was a great spot, and enjoy the rest of your time in Canton. What a special place and a good trip.
5: I appreciate it, Steve. appreciate it, Willie. Yeah, I enjoyed and, uh, you know, congrats to all the guys that going in, especially to uh, Richard, like I said, knowing him personally. But uh, give a shout-out to Vernon for me, and uh, y'all guys take care.
2: There you go, Jason Campbell, Willie and I spoke to him this morning, the former Raiders quarterback, Redskins quarterback, Bears as well, Vernon Fox helping us uh, track down Jason and there were so many good parts of that conversation. We'll have to review some of it next week. That Raiders era. But that story about Al Davis calling down to the sideline and everyone's like, All right, let's just I mean let's just do it. We'll yeah. run what Al wants.
3: There we go. Touchdown. And and, and Darius Hayward Bay. D H B almost gets never gets props. Hey, the greatest part about that was The greatest part about that was you and I on that call this morning listening to that story, and that was uh, about one hour later, Q asks the question to close the press conference with or the Zoom conference with Josh McDaniels about opening the game with that tribute play to Branch, and he says, that's what Al Davis loved.
0: More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas.
2: Thanks to the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. This is our home on Friday, so if you want to come out and watch the show, meet, greet, you know, give uh, Willie a kiss, you can do that. Every Friday, Treasure Island parking's free. Zoom right in the back. You walk. I mean, this place is like right down the stairs, just past the uh, Cirque du Soleil theater. Willie's back here tomorrow. We're doing a Saturday show here. It's our Saturday preview show. Throw the flag. Willie and Gooch. Get in the bag here. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We've just got a couple minutes. We've got to wrap on two things that we talked about during the show. Sources. Sources have checked in. So yesterday I retweeted that whole thing, that uh, Costco thing, where college football schools are actually – putting up their season tickets mm-hmm. at, at Costco, right? And it was getting mocked down by, like, you know, SEC fans, whatever. Most, most schools don't sell out all their games anyway, so why not try a creative way to sell more of your season tickets? And when I retweeted it, I said, hey, UNLV Nevada should try this. You know? I mean, it's, I mean the Rebels have – it's a monstrous stadium. It's going to be hard to ever get, you know, 60,000. It's really – game days, it's uh, essentially equipped for, like, 35,000. It'd be great if they get 35000 for some games, right? Nevada definitely needs the help, especially now. I mean, it, they're, I was shocked when I went to the, uh, the last uh, Reno-UNLV game. Like, they kept saying it was a sellout. I'm like, there's empty seats here, man, and that stadium's not that big. So, anyway, a lot of teams in the Mountain West should do it. Pac-12 should do it. Um, bottom teams in the Big Ten, whatever. Um, I think UNLV is going to do it. So, that's my guess. I think UNLV is going to do it. I don't have anything guaranteed. I might have sources, but I think they might do it. Back in the bag?
4: Stick your hand in there,
2: Dave. And then there's the Mark Davis chicken wing discussion earlier. We were talking about Mark as being a man of the people. He loves stadium food. You mentioned that he goes into the VIP section for the Aces game, which he owns the team. I had a source. I have to double sources. I had one source say that they carve prime rib there. They've got giant shrimp, and they said MD – Oftentimes, we'll go right to the mini hot
3: dogs. That's great. I love that so much. That is fantastic. And it And I, I don't even, I wouldn't even debate that. So on, any, on any level. Because it smells wonderful because the media dining room is right across from that courtside club, and it smells great. Jed could attest to that. And you see the hot plates with the hot lamps and the chefs back there. So, yeah.
2: Love it. Love it. Thanks to Treasure Island and Golden Circle for signing on for uh, football season with Cofield and Company. We really appreciate it. We're back out here next week. Everyone have a really good weekend. Thanks for the setup, guys.